so, so worthy, is he not? Just the beautiful reminders that he is the great I am. I just, ah, man. Anytime I'm in his presence, I'm reminded why I love him so much. Because he is just so, so amazing. His faithfulness towards us. I'm just, I'm so glad that his faithfulness towards us is not contingent on my faithfulness towards him. Because <laughs> if it was like that, oh my, we would be in trouble. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there, we would be in so much, so much trouble. So I am just, I'm so glad that he is who he is um, and that he loves me. So um, I'm not Bishop. <laughs> Why I? Uh, so yes, for real. Um, and so he asked me. He's like, "Hey, can you step in and uh, and preach today?" I said, "Yes." Can I preach from wherever I want? He said, "No." He's like, "I need you to continue on in this uh, this uh, series that we're doing through the book of Revelation." I don't know about you, but I have been blessed through this book. I mean, every step of the way, there have been some terrible things that have happened that we've seen, um, but. It's just glorious how good our God is and how, how patient he is with us. And for those that are yet to believe, you know, he is so, so patient. So I am going to do my best, um, and we're going to go through Revelation chapter 17 and 18. And so um, I'm so sorry there is no handout, Okay. So you're going to have to use your phones to go ahead and take some notes, or if you're old school like me, you got to go ahead and have a little pad and a pen, write some things down, you know what I mean? So that way, you know, I had a teacher that always used to say, although there is no, there is no mind that is sharper than a pen or a pencil. So you're going to forget. Make sure you write it down. And um, he's right. The older I get, the less I remember. It's so, so terrible. Um, I'm not old yet, okay? I'm just saying that the, the older that I get, the more I, yeah. So um, I, I know that we asked you to sit down, but, you know, here at, at church, we do church aerobics where we sit down and then we stand up and then we sit down and stand up. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. So again, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. Uh, we're going to be starting in, the, in chapter 17, and I'm just going to read a short portion, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Revelation chapter 17. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and start in, um, I know, I messed you all up. I'm sorry. I know. Um, let's go ahead and start back in uh, chapter 16, verse 17, and I'll go ahead and start reading from there. Revelation is so easy because it's the last book, so you're like there. It's easy to find. It's like Genesis, but on the other side. <laughs> so uh, I know, right? Revelation chapter 16, starting in verse 17, it says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. 
and great Babylon was remembered before God. Great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Uh, Yeah, yeah, scary, scary stuff. Then every island fell away, fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. So like a hundred pound hail. That's some that's a crazy hailstorm. Um, men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly, exceedingly great. Chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seen having seven heads and ten horns. The, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the great of the great of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you, dear God, because you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you because you speak to us through your word. So I pray that in these next few moments that our hearts would be softened, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us, my God. Change us, transform us, challenge us in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So the title of the message is Babylon Has Fallen. So we've covered so much, so much in these past few weeks. And if you missed any of it, please check it out. It's on the YouTube channel. It's on Facebook, I believe, as well. So make sure you go over there and check it out. Awesome, awesome messages. We're finishing up the seven bold judgments and on our way to Armageddon. So we're on our way to that final great battle, right, between the forces of good and evil. But right before we get there, we see a conversation between John and one of the angels who had the seven bowls, right? Interesting. That's what we'll be talking about today. So if you don't remember anything else today, I want you to remember this. You ready? One person is ready. Oh, Lord. I said, are you ready? Okay, good. More people are ready. That's great. Okay, we must say we must. Always, always, see, not sometimes, but always, always be on guard against anything that takes our focus off of Christ. Can you say amen to that? 
we must always, always be on guard against anything that takes our focus off of Christ. You know why that's important? Because your enemy is always trying to get at you. Always. There's not a moment in your life where your enemy is like, nah, I'm just going to leave him alone. No. So that's why we always, 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 always have to be on guard. And sometimes our focus gets off of Christ, not for bad things, but for good things, you know? I'm gonna I'm a, I'm a do a bowling league, so I'm, it's good. Exercise, I get to go ahead and... But is it bringing glory to God? What is, what is the purpose of this, right? I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, but is it, is it taking your focus off of Christ? What is it doing? Are we, are we using that as a litmus test for what we're doing in our lives? Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. My first point, my first point, so repeat after me. It said, God's way... Is the only way. You ever have somebody that tries to start a project, right, without the instructions? We redid my son's room uh, last weekend because it was Labor Day weekend. And so my wife said, we're going to labor all day. So, and because I love her, right, I said yes and amen to that because... You know, happy wife, happy life, you know. I mean, after 19 years, I get it. I got it. I, I, I have arrived. I've, I've arrived. I've arrived. Um, and so we had, um, we had instructions, right? We had instructions, and then, and then um, you know, and I don't know what happened to me. At, you know, Ikea has pictures, right? They ain't got no words. They got pictures. That, uh, I mean, I get it. A uh, picture's worth a thousand words, but sometimes I need some words. Just guide me. You know what I mean? I'm like looking it. And the thing is, like, if you're, doing, if you're doing something on your phone, what are we used to now, right? You just go ahead and pinch and, like, you know, expand, right? Well, you can't do that with paper. You can't do it. So I'm looking at a picture trying to pinch and expand. Anyway, so it is important to know that, listen, there is one way, and God is that only way. Hello? <laughs> Jesus on the main line. <laughs> so when we see this great harlot, right, we see this great harlot, and it's crazy because she's sitting on many waters. Now, there's a ton of imagery in Revelation. That's why, like, when, I, when you talk about reading Revelation, it's like, man, can I get, like, where's the legend? Where's, like, the key? Can I get, like, where's the decoder ring? Like, where? It, anyway, so... We have the benefit here that the angel actually gives like an interpretation for what it is that we're looking at. I'm like, thank God we ain't got. <laughs> we don't have to like guess or flip to a million scriptures to see what it is. And so when we look at this, at these many waters, it is talking about multitudes, nations, tons. So we see that in verse. If you drop down to verse 15, it says, "The waters which you saw." Where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so what we see here in this first section in uh, chapter 17 is Babylon, the great harlot, is false religion personified as a well-dressed, highly influential harlot. How do we know that? Well, we know that because she's sitting on many waters, right? Notice the posture. She's sitting on these waters. So meaning that she's got a bunch of followers, right? A bunch of people following her. So that is amazing because when you think about false religion, 
you know, sometimes you have religions that almost, they have a nugget of truth. And then they take like a left turn. And you're like, man, if you're not paying attention, if your focus is not on Christ, it is so easy to be deceived to the point where you become so zealous in this. That is why it is so very important that our focus remains on Christ. Not only that, verse 5 calls her the mother of harlots, meaning that she's a harlot that produces harlots. So she produces false religion. And when we look at false religions, they oppose God and persecute those who are his. Verse 6 says that she is drunk with the blood of the saints and martyrs of Jesus. So that means that this false religion, at the hands of this false religion, many, many believers will succumb, will die, will be martyred. It's crazy. It's something, something like that, something false would have such great influence. We've seen religions that have a form, like I said, they have just a nugget of truth, enough truth to make you say, hmm, wait, wait a minute, hold on a second, what? say that again. It sounds right, but in the end, it's not right. There is only one way, one way. Some religions are about good moral behavior. Now, there's nothing wrong with behaving good, right? I mean, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? You want to be nice to other people. If you see a need, hey, let's go ahead and help that person in need. But doing good works is not enough. It's not enough. I've had conversations with others that are not Christians, and they say, you know what, I just, I just got to do good. And then I ask them the question, well, how much, how much good is good enough? Where's your book? They look at me like I got three heads. I'm like, well, look, if I believe like you believe, I would be carrying around a book. Because when I did something bad, tally mark. When I did something good, I'm even. When I... <laughs> When I do two things good and only one thing bad, I'm in the black, right? I'm good. Oh, but when I do three things bad and one thing wrong, I'm in the red. Uh-oh, I got to find something to do because I got to earn it, right? False religion is crazy. False religion is crazy. So it's not anything new, but what we see here in the end times is we see false religion at another level, Worldwide. Worldwide. But false religion isn't anything new, right? The enemy's always been at work. We look back to Genesis, and the enemy has always been asking, has God indeed said? When you're about to do, if you've been a Christian for a little while, and you got a little word, and you got a little Bible in you and stuff, when you're about to do something that you know, you know <laughs> You shouldn't be doing. Some scriptures pop up into your mind, right? I shouldn't partake of this, or I should be doing this. And... But then you hear another influence. Has God indeed said? 
Has he? Has God indeed said, be holy for I am holy? I'm only human. <laughs> right? I, I make mistakes. But my question to you is, what is your practice? What is your practice? A flawed example, I'll give you that. A flawed example would be a basketball player, right? Basketball players shoot a lot of free throws. What is their practice? Is it to miss? Some would argue that some because they miss a lot, maybe. <laughs> but most of them, they practice to make it. What is my practice? What does that look like? Hey, listen, his grace is sufficient. I get that. But what is our practice? What is it? What does that look like in your own life? Tough question, right? Only you can answer. Only you can answer. Has God indeed said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Did God indeed say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Did God indeed say that? Do you love the Lord God with all? It didn't say some. Matthew 22, 37. It's, I mean, it's red letters. If you got the right Bible. <laughs> red letter. Love the Lord your God with all all your heart, your soul, and your mind. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes my heart is divided. <laughs> and it hurts. It's like, man, my heart needs to be unified in this. I need to love the Lord God with all my heart. Has God indeed said that now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments? Many profess. What is their practice? I profess. What is my practice? What is mine? Because listen, I'm up here and I'm preaching this up, but let me tell you, the Lord has been smacking me in the face with this word <laughs> all week, all week. And I've had to question, what is my practice? What is it that I'm doing? Am I seeking to keep his commands? Not by my own strength, but relying on his strength. Because I get it. Listen, apart from him, we can do nothing. And I'm not saying that we're trying to go ahead and get it right on our own. But I'm saying, what is your practice? Like, are you giving it to the Lord? Are you depending on him? Are you sober-minded and saying, you know what, Lord? I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need your strength. I cannot do it. When we recognize that, and we rely on his strength, on his mercy, on his grace, we can't help but overcome. But the enemy will come and bring that doubt. Did God really say? Did he? Always be on guard. Always be on guard. So Babylon is sitting on this scarlet, scarlet beast. I love how no words are ever like extra in the word. Scarlet. Scarlet is 
the color of sin, right? It's the color of sin. So this is not a, a good beast. This is a terrible beast with seven heads and ten horns. I don't know how my, my man John did not, like, faint. You know, it's like all these things that he's seeing, it's like mind-blowing. Again, thank you for this angel that, like, interprets what it is that we're seeing. So verse 9 says, seven heads are seven mountains. So I was thinking, I was like, man, that's interesting. Seven heads, seven mountains. So I did a little bit of reading. And, stuff. and so it, when you look, Rome sat, and Rome was, like, big at the time, right? That was like, you know, they were taking over the world. Rome sat on seven mountains. Rome was a superpower of that day. And the readers, John's readers would have understood the words that he was saying being symbolic of the influence, the type of influence that this harlot had, even as great as to influence the leaders of the world. So this is not something that's going to be like, you know, like, oh, well, you know, some people, there's a lot of people, but it's not going to go ahead and get into it. No, it's, it's insidious. It's going to get everywhere. Everywhere. At the time, Rome was luxurious. I mean, we see this harlot dressed like to the nines, you know, purple, right? I mean, it's this color of status. Rome was luxurious, prosperous, and also deep into idolatry. They had a God for all kinds of stuff, right? And then you had to go ahead and please these gods and do this and do that and try to earn favor. It's crazy. The ten horns, we continue in verse 12. The ten horns are the, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So authority, authority. My second point, God's rule is sovereign. Say God's rule. Say God's rule is sovereign. He's overall, right? Nothing happens without him knowing, either doing it or allowing it. Let's go to verse 13. It says, these, speaking of the, of the leaders, those ten, those 10 kings, these are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Verse 14, these will make war with the lamb, <laughs> and the lamb will overcome them. Super important here. For he is, he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Chosen and faithful. There is but one God who rules over all. He is, he truly is the Lord of lords and the King of Kings. It's not just something that we say. That's who he is. The important thing here is we will either recognize that truth here and now or there and then. It is true. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He gives us the opportunity now to recognize him as such, to bow before him. He is a gracious king, a gracious Lord. 
His will is that none should perish, but that all would be saved. That's what he wants. But he's also a righteous God. He's also a just God. He's also a serious God. Meaning that what he says, he means. He's not playing around. He's serious. Why does God tell us these things? Why does he warn us? So I turned back. I'm like, man, let me go to 2 Peter, right? Because last week, Bishop mentioned 2 Peter, and I was like, man, I want to go ahead and see 2 Peter, what's up? So I'm going to go ahead and turn back. You can turn there with me, 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3. And, um, you know, when people write me letters or emails, like at the end, I like for them to go ahead and be like, hey, man, you know, I really miss you. Like my brother, he doesn't live here. He lives in California. He doesn't send me letters. He didn't, he, we, we talk on the phone, but he usually just sends me text messages, right? So when we're about to, when he's about to go and do his thing or whatever, and he's going to go, he usually signs out, hey, man, I miss you. I love you. You know, I, I want to see you, blah, blah, blah. And it's really nice. It's a great ending, right? So my man Peter, right, he's chapter 3, uh, verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, that what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long sufferings of our Lord is salvation as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written you. Verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some are things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scripture. You therefore, beloved, that's you, since you know this beforehand, you know it now, right? You know it now, and so now it's too late. Now you're responsible. I'm sorry, not sorry. Um, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to be steadfast. We need to know because now we know. Now there's no excuse. We know what's coming. So we know what we have to do. We have to be diligent to be steadfast. Steadfast in what? Steadfast in God's word. When we are steadfast in God's word, 
we recognize because we are so intimately just steeped in the truth. We know when the lie comes. You know your children, don't you? Those of you that have children, you know your children. You know when they try to get away with things. You know when they're lying to you. You know when they're telling you half the story. Why? Because you know the truth. You know. My favorite is when I know the truth. I've already gathered all the information and I know. And I come to my children and I ask, what happened? Tell me the story. And they start out. They start out good, right? Sometimes they'll go ahead and even own things that they did. And then they get to the, to the part, the details of the story. And I'm like, hmm, hold on a second. What about this? Oh, oh, I, oh. <laughs> Conveniently, I forgot about it. Oh, you forgot. You forgot. Okay, let me remind you. Let me remind you. But this is important. We have to be intimately involved and steeped in the truth. So when we see a lie, when we see a half-truth, we recognize and we remain firm and steadfast in God's word. Amen. So verse 16 and 17, I got to flip back. Hold on. Let me flip back. This is so crazy. God used the same people, the same leaders that supported Babylon to bankrupt her and to destroy her. God is so amazing. God will use people's enemies to go ahead and destroy each other for his own purposes. He's like, man, y'all think you're going to come against me? Watch this. Takes those same people and destroys Babylon. It is so, so amazing. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, this is verse 16, these will hate the harlot. I thought they were buddy-buddy. What happened? Make her desolate, desolate and naked. Now, before she was arrayed how? Purple, right? All types of fancy jewels and stuff. Now we see Babylon here naked and desolate. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. That's a statement. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Hmm. God knew what he was doing all along. So if we know that God, we see God knowing what he's doing here, don't you think he knows what he's doing now? But this is what's so crazy. I don't, I'm just, let me just talk about me. Let me just talk about me. When God tells me to trust him or asks me to trust him, when the situation arises and it causes me to be like, oh, Lord, I don't know what, I, I need to trust you. Why is it that when he says to do something, I'm always like, okay, Lord, um, wait a second. I need confirmation, right? I need I need the dry fleece, and I need the wet fleece, and I need, you know, I, I need all types of signs and wonders, all right? If the bird flies this way, Lord, I know that it is you that is telling me. Why do I do that? Where's my faith? Where's my trust in him? If he says to do, if he says to step out, step out in faith, knowing that he said it. 
we should respond in faith and obedience. When I tell my kids to do something, what I need them to do is what I ask them to do, unless they have new information. But God has all the information, so he don't need any new information from you. If he says to do something, you just got to do it. When I ask my kids, I'm like, and it's crazy because my son is very different from my daughter. My daughter was, you know, she wanted to be real, like, compliant, stuff like that. And my son, kids are different, okay? Just kids are different. Um, he might be a lawyer because he, he he's always with the, but dad, listen, listen, dad, but listen. I'm like, no, I don't want to listen. You know what I want you to do? What I want to hear from you is, yes, daddy, and go do what I ask you to do. And always with the bit first. Papi, um, I need you to go brush your teeth. Okay, dad, but first, um, can I go ahead and pick up these Legos? But why? No, I need you to do what I ask you to do. Listen, obedience over helpfulness. You are most helpful when you are obedient. You could use that. You could use that. My man wants to do all kinds of stuff, and I'm like, listen, I just need you to do what I ask you to do. But it's so funny because as soon as he does that, you know what I think about? When God asks me to do stuff, and I'm like, but God, wait a second. I gotta, can I do this over here first and then do that? And God is saying, man, listen, I just need you to do what I asked you to do. That's it. That's what I need you to do. Uh, no matter what, God always wins. Even when it doesn't look like it, God will utterly destroy his enemies. When I was reading through this section, I was reminded of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. This is such a crazy story. So we find ourselves with this wicked king, Ahab, and um, they've decided to worship Baal. So, excuse me, all, all the children of Israel come out to uh, Mount Carmel, and uh, they're going to see what's what, right? So you have 450 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people, and then you have one, one prophet, Elijah, one prophet of the Lord. says, man, you killed everybody else. I'm the only one left. Only one. So he said, we're going to find out whose God is real. We'll find out. So said, okay, all right, go ahead and get sacrifice, right? Your prophets will go ahead and get one. I'll get one, and we'll go ahead and see what's up. Who's ever God? I was fired from heaven will know that he is God. So the prophets of Baal go ahead and, in their fashion, they go ahead and set up this altar, put the, chop the sacrifice up into chop sections, I guess, and they go ahead and put it on the, on the altar. I don't know. I didn't really say specifically how they chopped it up. Anyway, so they went ahead and put the sacrifice. They go ahead and start doing their things, even to the point where they're cutting themselves. Now, they start in the morning, and they're going into, like, the afternoon, and Elijah's like, man, you know, like, scream a little bit louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he, like, took a nap. Maybe he's got, you know, something else going on. Scream a little bit louder. He might not hear you. I don't know. So 
they got upset and they started really cutting themselves and stuff. And, and, and then the time for the evening sacrifice came. And he says, is my turn yet? Okay, got it. He said, go ahead and get some pictures, douse the sacrifice, make it wet. You ever try to go ahead and get like, make a fire with wet wood? It's super tough. Let me go ahead. Yes, super, super tough. So then he wet, he wet the sacrifice, wet, it, wet, the, wet everything, right? And he says, do it again. Wet, wet the, yeah, do it again. So they do it again, right? Now there's a trench around the, the altar that, that he built. And so um, he said, do it a third time. So then go ahead and do it a third time, right? After that, the trench was full. The sacrifice was super wet at that point. And Elijah prayed. Simple prayer. When God is ready to act, it don't take but no time. Fire came down from heaven. Not only did it consume the sacrifice, consume the altar, it licked up all the water. It was dry. And guess what happened afterwards? A reckoning. Children of Israel went ahead and said, wow, God is God. There's no doubt now. So Elijah said, go ahead and take those prophets and done. Bad day. Bad day for the prophets of Baal. It's a bad, bad day for them. My last point. When the world mourns. ¿Qué pasó? What happened? One more time. When the world mourns, that's hard to say. God's people rejoice. So in chapter 18, so first and 17, we see the fall of religious Babylon, right? Destroyed. And now in 18, we deal with social and economic Babylon. So in verse eight, in uh, in chapter eighteen, verses one and two, this is interesting. It says, "After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, and prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean hated bird. Babylon is fallen, is fallen." I was reading that, and I was like, why are you repeating? Like, why? what happened there? Some scholars believe it's because spiritual and political, economical Babylon both fell. I'm like, I like that. That's good. God said, you know what? I'm going to destroy the whole thing, not just some of it, but the whole thing. So, Revelation 4 and 5, it says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. It's so crazy because even in the midst of all that is going on, God says, Come out, my people. Come out. I'm calling you. I am calling you. Come out of Babylon. Don't stay there anymore. Don't rely on this world system to go ahead and solve all your problems. Come to me. I am the source. I was talking with, the, with uh, a brother um, 
And I'm like, man, you know, on Friday we had we had prayer here. Um, we had a prayer service, and um, and I was tired. I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't want to come. <laughs> I didn't want to come. I didn't. It's Friday, you know. I've I've had a tough week, you know. It's crazy because I anytime I talk to anybody, nobody has an easy week. Hey, I had an easy week this week. Nobody ever tells me that. Every, it's all oh, it's a rough week this week. It's tough. So me, I jumped on that bandwagon, and I was like, yeah, it's been a tough week. So I wanted to come home, and I wanted to just pass out on my couch, you know, and veg because I work hard, and I deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. But then I started thinking, and I'm like, man, where are my priorities? Like, I invest so much time every week in trying to make a living and, you know, trying to get ahead. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with trying to get ahead and, you know, trying to make a living and stuff. I mean, you know, the kids got to eat, right? At least more than, like, one meal a day. You know? I mean, those are just my thoughts. Some, You know, anyway... So, I mean, I want to I wanna be a good provider. I want to go ahead and do I want to be successful. I want to be all those things. I want to move up because, you know, I, I feel like there's, there's more in me. But where is my focus? Why, why am I driving towards those things? Are those things furthering the kingdom of God? Am I trying to go ahead and move up so I have more influence, a bigger platform to proclaim the kingdom of God, or is it just for me? Because let me tell you, the only reason why I, ha I have audience with God the Father is because of Christ's sacrifice. So, man, I should be, and the thing is, is that, you know what? We are so spoiled here in America because we can come together whenever we want. This right here doesn't happen everywhere. It doesn't. And I don't know how long we'll be able to enjoy this. I, you know, the way things are going, you, you just don't know. That's not, and that's not, a, a, that's not to scare you or anything like that. That's just a reality. I mean, we see Babylon. <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. And I scoff at the opportunity or I, like, hesitate at the opportunity to come together and come before God to pray with my brother and sister, to intercede, to stand in the gap. Man, I came here and I was so like just heartbroken because I'm like, man, where's my heart? Like, man, bless you. And if I feel that way, how many other people feel that way? How many other people are, and I get it, you know, other people have arrangements and they're doing things and all that stuff, but how many other people are sitting on their couch? Watching TV. When I know, like, man, there's family members that I know that don't know the Lord, aren't walking with the Lord. <sighs> there's some tough questions on Friday for me. I don't know about you, but, you know, I just wanted to share in those tough questions so that you like, walking with me. You know, we've got to share one another's burdens, so I figured I'd go ahead and throw that one on you, too, so... You're welcome. <laughs> Verse 19. 
Verse 19 says, they threw dust on their heads and cried out weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, a great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. In the end, God wins. And we see that in one hour, judgment has come. In one hour, such great riches came to nothing. In one hour, she is made desolate, deserted by people, and in a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. God's judgment is swift. He is not slack in his judgment. You know why it looks like he's slack? Because he's so merciful. He's merciful towards us. He's waiting, saying, will you come to me? Will you come out of Babylon? Will you come to me? Will you commit your hearts undivided to me? The kingdom of heaven is the only thing that will last. We have the choice of being citizens of heaven or those who conform to the proverbial Babylon. I'm reminded of the words of Joshua 24, 15. This is such an amazing thing. Joshua, he, is, he knows that he is getting old. They've conquered the land. Everybody's going to enter into their inheritance. But he has these words. He said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He said, and this is what hits home for me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the question that I have for you today, and I will close with this, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for being so kind, so merciful, so patient with us, my God. I pray, dear Lord Jesus, that we would not take your patience as weakness, that we would not take your patience as being slack, dear God. I pray, my Lord God, that we would be committed to living all out for you that the time that we have left on this earth would be dedicated to furthering your kingdom. That when you ask us, dear God, and when you tell us to step out, Father, I pray that we would not hesitate, but I pray that we would respond in faith and obedience, knowing, my God, that you have called us for such a time as this. We are here for a purpose, dear God, and so I pray that when the end of our lives come, that we would have lived a life that was committed to you, a life, my Lord God, that is evident that we were indeed your followers, seeking, my God, to do what you have called us to do, to accomplish your purposes. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Did you learn something? Were you reminded of something? Good. Put your hands together for Jesus in this place. He is awesome. This next portion of our service is where we get to partake of communion together.
Um, if you did not grab a communion 